This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to Value listeners, this week we have Dr. Jay Bott, Executive Director for the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions and the Executive Director for the Deloitte Health Equity Institute. Dr. Bott is a physician executive, internist, geriatrician, and public health innovator. He's someone that is leading the way in directing research and insights and eminence agenda across the life sciences and healthcare industry while driving high impact collaborations to advance health equity. He's someone that I really look up to as a thought leader around these issues of health equity, healthcare transformation, public health and innovation. In this episode, we're going to talk about the moral and the business imperative for health equity. Daniel, I, I really have to say we hit a home run and getting uh, Jay Bott to be on this podcast. He had just such profound insights on population health, health equity, digital innovation. And uh, I, I just can't wait to, to get this episode out so our listeners can, can hear this important conversation. Eric, I agree 100%. Jay is an awesome, awesome peer. And our listeners are going to appreciate this conversation. We get into the Deloitte Health Equity Institute operating model. We dive into race and ethnicity data, a really important highlight on bright spots and equity challenges. And, and we dive into ACO reach model as, as well as a number of other topics that I know are just going to be really meaningful to our listeners. And, and Jay is just a pleasure to listen to and a joy to speak with. And I'm excited to share this episode. Race to Value listeners, you definitely want to hear this conversation on the moral and business imperative for health equity. There's so much to be learned about public health, life sciences innovation, population health, and value-based care transformation. But before we hand it off to Dr. Jay Bott in this important interview, uh, definitely make sure to go to racetovalue.org, subscribe to our newsletter, don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're so inclined, go to your favorite podcast platform today and feel free to leave a review and a five-star rating if you're so inclined. So without further delay, let's go ahead and hear from Jay as he joins us this week in the Race to Value. Jay, welcome to the Race to Value. We're so excited to have you on the podcast this week and have been eager to talk about your new leadership role as Executive Director of the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions and the Deloitte Health Equity Institute since your appointment earlier this year. Thank you so much, Eric. It is just a pleasure to be on with you. I've really appreciated the opportunity to collaborate in the past and uh, just uh, you know, tremendous work uh, that you and the team have been doing. 
Well, I appreciate that. And I thought we would start our conversation today by discussing the operating model of the Deloitte Center for Health Solutions. This health services research arm of Deloitte United States produces research and other thought leadership that is objective and data-driven and embraces a diversity of viewpoints on trends and issues affecting U.S. healthcare. The center has established the Deloitte Health Equity Institute, DHEI, to address the three root causes of health equity. And those root causes are you know, socioeconomic, gender, racism, and other biases, disparate circumstances and drivers of health, and inadequately designed healthcare systems. In the U.S., DHEI has launched over 15 collaborations to support health equity transformation and has de developed publicly available data dashboards on health equity, maternal health, and COVID-19. And your institute has also developed the Global Health Equity Network with the World Economic Forum. And with those root causes of racism and drivers of health and structural flaws in the U.S. health system, I know DHEI is driving change by creating this domino effect of health equity actions and change across private and public sectors, strengthening local ecosystems, and creating those proof points that are really needed to break down the silos and catalyze scalable change through the programs that you have in evidence and analytics and systems transformation. And this work I know, Jay, is really personal for, for you as you've had a front seat in your life to many of the challenges that people face in disadvantaged communities. I mean, you became a doctor to, to meet the challenge of treating diverse patients in underserved neighborhoods. And now you're leading in health equity transformation on a much larger scale to help communities and organizations change their future. So I wanted to ask you if you could provide our listeners with an overview of the Deloitte Health Equity Institute and how is it driving data-driven social innovation and knowledge development to advance health equity through pro bono programs, philanthropy, research, and cross-industry collaboration. Thanks, Eric, for that kind introduction and uh, the wonderful comments you shared about uh, the Center for Health Solutions and the Health Equity Institute. They're really catalytic engines uh, for transformation and the future of health, and uh, quite frankly, the future of equitable health, which we know that uh, is so critical uh, to uh, the health of this country and the impact uh, that it makes. You know, there is a workforce imperative, there's a market imperative, and there's a societal imperative for health equity. So we think about it from a purpose first lens. And it's also important to recognize that it isn't just uh, the right thing to do. Health equity it has a moral imperative, but it also has a business imperative. And we think about addressing this moral imperative through business solutions. We just recently uh, launched a publication uh, report with Neil Botra and Andy Davis, uh, who are several of our practitioners and leaders at the firm around the cost of health inequities. And today that cost is $340 billion. If we do nothing different, it's $1 trillion. And we go through common conditions and a framework uh, th that outlines what contributes to that cost, but also actions organizations can take. Uh, the Center for Health Solutions works very closely with our life sciences and healthcare industry practice at Deloitte uh, that's helping uh, client and organizations around the country advance a future of health, digital transformation with COVID as a catalyst, sustainability and climate-related uh, strategies, as well as thinking about the intersections across those issues. The Deloitte Health Equity Institute officially launched uh, late last spring with the goal to move the field so we can collectively help achieve health equity as an outcome. And 
together, the Deloitte Health Equity Institute and the Center for Health Solutions uh, continues to elevate uh, the conversations in the market uh, and the field, but also uh, work with community-based organizations for impact. You alluded to the fact that uh, the Health Equity Institute has built more than 15 collaborations with leaders in the market, impacting uh, indirectly nearly 2 million people. It's really helping Deloitte bring per- our purpose to life in three key ways. One is first, uh, we work to activate key decision makers around health equity. And you reference the World Economic Forum collaboration, which brought together 24 cross-sector organizations. And this work allows our leadership to engage global uh, leadership at Davos on the importance of health equity and ways to measure companies' health footprint through environmental, social, and governance activities. In addition, uh, with our collaboration through the Black Directors Health Equity Agenda, the Deloitte Health Equity Institute is helping to activate board and C-suite leaders to make health equity everyone's business and a core component of the standing agenda. Second, we focused on advancing place-based change by investing in programs that directly change people's lives. Uh, And to that end, we supported work in New York, Greater Washington, and other regions around the country to deliver more than 9,000 COVID-19 vaccines and to support education campaigns and other efforts, engaging uh, individuals all across those regions, amounting to to over 200,000 people. And we also supported work with United Way Worldwide that enabled programming in Dallas and Atlanta, focused on addressing health inequities for racially and ethnically diverse women and birthing persons. And finally, we focused on driving health equity innovation. This include launching an accelerator program with new profit, focused primarily on minority-led nonprofits, 10 social entrepreneurs who have the potential to create transformative change that advances health equity. We also worked alongside Health Prism uh, to help March of Dimes create a clearer picture of maternity care deserts in the United States. And so we'll continue those levers uh, with new relationships uh, and continue to double down on the ones we have that are making it back. Jay, we're really in an exciting time right now in the value movement. CMS is leading the way to incorporate racial justice into value-based care. They're re-engineering alternative payment models to include health equity as a key financial measure for success. And there will be a time, I think, in the very near future where all ACLs will be required to conduct disparities impact assessments and health equity reports and to monitor whether institutional-level policies proactively reduce health disparities. But this is a lot easier said than done. When you think about inconsistent and incomplete data about health plan enrollees, races, and ethnicities, and it makes it difficult to track and evaluate efforts to reduce health inequities. And that's confirmed by a recent research report conducted by Deloitte's Health Equity Institute in partnership with the Urban Institute and the American Benefits Council. And and that report is uh, entitled Collection of Race and Ethnicity Data for Use by Health Plans to Advance Health Equity. And it collected perspectives from various healthcare stakeholders, including commercial health insurance plans, healthcare providers, employers, community-based organizations, foundations, and research organizations. And they offered several potential actions to improve the availability of high-quality race and ethnicity data. The insights and recommendations in the report underscore the importance of transparency and partnership as we work to improve our collection and use of race slash ethnicity data to advance health equity. Upon the release of that report in late July, you stated the following, quote, we can't improve what we don't measure. Continuing to analyze the delivery of care and examine patient outcomes across demographics, including race and ethnicity, but also sexual orientation, gender identities, and language is critical 
to administering more equitable and inclusive care and building trust with communities across America, end quote. Can you please elaborate on the insights from this important research study and how the recommendations set forth can present a roadmap to address barriers that hinder health equity? Absolutely, Eric. Thanks for mentioning this report. Really proud of this unique collaboration uh, with Urban Institute, the American Benefits Council, Deloitte, and uh, Elevance, uh, formerly known as Anthem Health. And it, it, it is just such a critical issue, uh, as uh, I alluded to in the, the quote you referenced. And so we generated perspectives from various healthcare stakeholders, including commercial health insurance plans, healthcare providers, employers, community-based organizations, foundations, and research organizations, and offered several potential actions to improve the availability of high-quality race and ethnicity data. And I think at the, the core of it is building and sustaining trust. If individuals and organizations know that their data is being used appropriately and for good, more likely uh, to share it. And as we see, the, this issue is really important in order us to advance the journey of health equity. And so there were a number of insights that emerged. One, developing a collective understanding of the value of improving the quality and availability of race and ethnicity data was critical and foundational, uh, including uh, the notion of proximity and lived experience and trusted community partners in the efforts to improve data collection uh, is paramount. Providing transparency about the reasons for collecting data, as well as creating and sharing guardrails to ensure data security and patient privacy while preventing harm to historically marginalized people and communities was also uh, an insight that emerged from our conversations. And uh, we also held a virtual convening of uh, the cross-section of stakeholders in April, which provided uh, quite a bit of input and insight uh, into the findings of the report. And addressing uh, concerns about the legality and permissibility of data collection and sharing among employers and others through clarifying language from the federal government and the American Benefits Council convenes employers uh, around a, a large number of different uh, strategic issues, you know, really integral in, in uh, elevating this point. Contributing to an enhancing current efforts by federal leadership to develop more inclusive standards for self-report and voluntary identification of individuals, race, and ethnicity. We know that certainly um, over the last year and a half that there's been great effort in uh, doing this and that the federal uh, agencies and, and organizations uh, have come together to try to tackle this issue, as well as through interoperability. We've seen health equity by design by the Office of National Coordinator. We see various uh, provisions and actions being taken uh, across uh, federal government. And so I think this just has to build upon uh, that momentum uh, and identify further opportunities. And then finally, investing in updated data collection standards, interoperable data systems, and robust training on data collection for frontline health workers. And so I think, uh, you know, we underscore the importance of transparency, trust, partnership, as we work to improve collection use of race, ethnicity data, and uh, other data elements, uh, as you referenced. Uh, and again, um, it's true, we can't uh, improve what we don't measure. And, you know, systems designed to achieve the results it's designed to, uh, to achieve, as, as we know, um, if we want different results, have to, uh, create better systems. Well, Jay, here at the Race to Value, we love to use our platform to highlight exemplars in the value sector. And at our Institute for Advancing Health Value, we also bring leaders together to unearth bright spots 
successes, if you will, at health plans, hospitals, health systems, and other ACOs around the country. And our mission is to identify as many of these bright spots as possible so our audience can determine if the ideas can be applied at, at their organizations. And we believe finding a bright spot and cloning it is the most effective strategy to improve healthcare in our lifetime. And one of the bright spots that we've encountered is the medical home network, which is an FQHC that's one of the nation's foremost clinically integrated and digitally connected delivery networks to improve the health of Medicaid beneficiaries and safety net communities in the greater Chicago area. And you and I crossed paths briefly a few years ago while you were serving as the chief clinical product officer and medical director for MHN. And we also had Cheryl Lulius, the CEO of MHN, on our podcast. And we learned a great deal from her about how they were driving culture transformation and reshaping care delivery through systems of integrated care and governance, decentralized practice level care management, community workforce development, real-time connectivity and data liquidity, and AI-enabled analytics. And uh, also adopting full risk APMs and managing total cost of care. And I know outside of your prior work with MHN, uh, you have longstanding uh, ties to the community. Uh, I understand that you continue to practice medicine at local community health centers in Chicago and Cook County while serving in, while also serving in your leadership role at Deloitte. And, you know, Chicago is, is definitely a city that's facing immense challenges in, in health equity. I mean, in the last decade, life expectancy has fallen for everyone except for non-Hispanic white Chicagoans. And the impact of racism on population health is commonly illustrated by the nine-year gap in life expectancy between non-Hispanic black Chicagoans and their non-Hispanic white counterparts. And this translates to more than 3,500 excess deaths for black people in Chicago every year with more than half of this burden catalyzed by premature mortality from chronic disease. So since Chicago is one of the few large cities across the U.S. with a widening gap in all-cause all mortality between black and white residents, uh, can you speak to the work that MHN and maybe some of the other organizations that you've worked with, what they're doing to address the dire situation of racial disparities of care in, in that city? Absolutely, and, and thanks for uh, elevating uh, the work of Medical Home Network. I think that they're a tremendous organization. You know, and this issue around value-based care, and this relates to some of the work that CMS has uh, been doing uh, and, and considering with the ACO REACH model, which differs from traditional value-based payment models because it explicitly identifies equity, not just value as a central goal. And we know that value-based payment models unintentionally may have, in certain circumstances, perpetuated systemic inequity, structural racism, uh, because it's it just not considered uh, completely and holistically in design implementation of the program. And so we're seeing that ACO REACH, uh, which is a new accountable care organization model that built upon uh, the work of the Innovation Center, includes health equity benchmark adjustments and acknowledges that providers may need to spend more, both time and resources, uh, and convene collaborative efforts. Uh, not less to care for members of historically marginalized communities and also require accountable care organizations to develop and implement a health equity plan uh, that identifies disparities in patient populations, establishes an equity strategy and adopts actions to reduce those disparities. And at Medical Home Network, this is uh, table stakes. What we've found interesting is that if you create uh, a platform and uh, technology but really build trust and create a care team that supports the needs, uh, both social 
uh, and environmental uh, of communities as well as their their care needs that you can create a successful value-based care model for community health centers and the safety net. So Medical Home Network has a proven model that uh, is a collaborative team-based model uh, that enables healthcare organizations, providers, and care teams integrate their efforts to improve care delivery and engage patients across a number of different health settings. Uh, it's a model uh, that's decentralized and employs care teams at the primary care uh, practice level. And as someone who practices every week in a community health center, that is uh, integral and you help allow for clinicians to work at the top of their game, to spend their time on the things that only uniquely their position to help deliver on. And uh, Medical Network's also structured care management with supporting tools, processes, and staffing that's consistent and reliable. And then the team-based model of care supported by innovative technology, integrating uh, disparate healthcare entities to enable, enable collaborative care management. And part of this is consistency around information and actionable information. And so the health risk assessments, the, the comprehensive risk assessments uh, that happen for every individual uh, that comes into the program and that's cared for, that data is really helpful for that patient, but over time also builds capacity for uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning, predictive analytics that helps us intervene appropriately and effectively in communities. And MHN has been successful uh, in its work with significant shared savings. And that shared savings is then one example is invested in a housing first program in Chicago to care for consumers uh, without stable housing who are high risk for poor health outcomes. And we know those with unstable housing on average have a 27 year less life expectancy than those with stable housing. And we know that the, uh, the impact that uh, it can make. And so housing is health. Westside United, uh, the Southside uh, Transformation Project the, uh, are both also efforts to address uh, the issues around uh, inequities in life expectancy and its quality health as well. That's important. Uh, so I would say when we think about the, the uh, nuggets that, that uh, drive value-based care, which requires a multifaceted patient-centric approach at every stage of the, the journey, the industry collaborations and ecosystems, it's really the alliances that we had to make and, and support and, and be trusted with each other in order for uh, us to get to that action. Uh, also alternative care sites. You know, we could deliver care mobily uh, in post-acute settings, in long-term care, in homes, that's important. Also making it easier and reducing friction so that um, both care teams and patients and their families could get the care they need. Uh, personalized and precision medicine. The digital front door, which is uh, important in value-based care and uh, it, it creating the opportunity to deliver the right care at the right place in the right time using a continuum of virtual, in-person and at-home care. Um, and we know that through COVID-19, we've seen that uh, telehealth has been such an important part of that and, and uh, the quality of care for common conditions uh, isn't compromised. So I would say that um, we certainly see tremendous opportunity in this area of value-based care models for historically underserved um, populations. Medical home network certainly one. We see city, and there are a number of others uh, that have been emerging uh, to try to do this. And I would say the one really important thing is when you connect the the financial with the operations and the business imperative. 
Uh, and one good example in things about bright spots is Scan Health Plan in California, where they uh, create accountability at the C-suite and executive team level uh, around medication uh, their population is taking. We saw differences around common medications such as cholesterol medication, statins, among different population groups. And 18 months later, they were able to reduce the racial and ethnic medication gap by 35%. Uh, and so I think that they're really valuable models uh, that continue to, to emerge. And at Deloitte, uh, we've certainly been uh, helpful to a wide range of organizations in that regard and that making sure that health equity is everyone's business and that equity is embedded within systems uh, environments and, and policies. And Jay, I really appreciate you bringing up the ACL REACH model, and I'd love to hear more of your perspective on it as a vehicle to eliminate health equities through payment model redesign. The CMS Innovation Center is committed to developing a health system that advances health equity, and they laid out a strategy refresh recently that considers equity in all stages of model development, including the ideation, the design, the recruitment, implementation, and evaluation. And the REACH model is one of the first new payment models to be introduced by the Biden administration, which has made health equity a very specific goal. And the administration also wants to move fee-for-service Medicare beneficiaries into coordinated care management, which will primarily be led by providers. And according to CMS, Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries who receive care through a REACH ACO will have access to enhanced care coordination services, telehealth visits, post-discharge home health care services, and may receive assistance with co-payments. Providers must demonstrate that they're reaching underserved populations, meeting health equity measures, and collecting data to demonstrate both efficiency and quality improvements. Are you optimistic that the REACH model will make health care and access more equitable? And why should hospitals, health systems, and other health care providers be paying attention to this new payment model? I think that this is an important uh, step forward to, one, increase uh, the number of value-based care models in the market, and particularly for historically underserved uh, populations, historically vulnerable populations. And I think that the, similar to what we talked about earlier, uh, creating a system that supports health equity has to be intentional, health equity by design, and that we have to be able to have the right data and information in order to benchmark and measure improvement. And so I think that uh, the model attempts to try to go down in that direction and equity is a central goal uh, alongside value. I would say that what remains to be seen is a translation of the plan requirement for, for a health equity strategy that identifies disparities into um, action. So if we're seeing the connection between that plan, operational strategies and tactics and goals, and uh, accountability at the leadership level, uh, then you know I think we can see some uh, real action. I think that we'll also learn a lot through this process, uh, which will be important, you know, and given the, the um, tools that uh, the Innovation Center has around agility and uh, learning the rapid cycle of evaluation, uh, group, uh, then taking that learning and turning it into improvement and in action will be uh, also key. Uh, I think the, co the collection uh, of data on patient-reported demographics and drivers of health, others may call it social determinants of health, that can be helpful. And I think 
part of what's going to be important is um, being clear about the language and where and how we intervene. So if I take the example of my patients that I care for, uh, someone that has a housing need or lives in housing in which there's poor conditions, uh, environmental allergens, if we connect them to better housing opportunities or have them improve that space so that they're not exposed to those allergens like mold and, and others, then uh, that's a social need. Uh, the, the affordable housing, the amount of affordable housing in a community to uh, posit that's a social determinant. And then the decades of policies that impact zoning, the development of affordable housing, that's systemic and structural. And so understanding where the challenges are in a community uh, and what levers an organization can pull, and that it, it, this is everyone's business. It's uh, a health system not alone can do this, um, or not can a community-based organization alone. Um, but we're seeing really a unique time right now where all the stakeholders are aligned around health equity. I would say we got to seize that moment and and try to accelerate movement uh, as as far as possible. And I would say that predecessor program from Reach, uh, the direct contracting which has been uh, suspended, I think that part of the reason is that equity uh, and the, the, the journey and the, the strategy and tools towards advancing health equity weren't there as they, they are And so I in, in reach. And so I say expanding access, engaging partners, driving innovation, particularly programs of fostering excellence and reliability you know, are gonna be uh, critically important to the future of uh, the, the program. And uh, I think we'll, we'll see how things uh, of all. Well, Jay, as some of our listeners out there may be surprised that Deloitte is conducting research into health equity and providing financial support to make healthcare more accessible and equitable. I mean, little has changed in the 20 years since the IOM released its assessment of racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare. Uh, that report uh, called Unequal Treatment. Uh, determined that Black and Hispanic Americans typically receive lower quality of care across a range of diseases when compared to white Americans. And while a growing number of healthcare leaders are working to make equity improvements, I mean, health disparities persist. And Deloitte is really putting itself out there in a big way by raising awareness that advancing health equity, as you described earlier, is both a moral and a business imperative. I mean, every organization across the industry has a role to play in making healthcare more equitable within their organizations and the communities they serve and across ecosystems. And we, of course, have a moral imperative to ensure the attainment of the highest level of health for all people. But now there's overwhelmingly compelling business imperative uh, information out there that recognizes how health inequities uh, limit access to affordable, high-quality health care, and it's costing the U.S. health system. I mean, you referenced the report earlier that Deloitte recently released. I mean, that report called Breaking the Cost Curve. I mean, it stated that we have $320 billion in annual spending, and it, that could eclipse $1 trillion in annual spending by 2040 if health equity is left unaddressed. Can you elabor elaborate further on how health inequities stand in the way of affordability, health, and well-being? And what recommendations would you make to an industry that requires a reckoning in the realization that we need a strong, enduring commitment among all stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem to ensure that we have an optimistic story to tell 20 years from now? Eric, I think that uh, this is such a, a critical issue. I think that we can't afford the inequities that we 
see today from a societal perspective, uh, from our own families and our generations uh, to come, as well as uh, as the business in the economy. Uh, we're seeing significant pressures and issues on uh, healthcare and life sciences companies, but also every sector in some uh, shape or form. And I would say Deloitte, uh, in particular, our healthcare and life sciences practice has been working on equity-related issues for quite a bit of time. And this is not new. The confluence of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, recent movements towards greater social consciousness, really accelerated and surfaced the notion that we can be models of change, that we can harness the different activities that are happening uh, within the organization uh, and bring it together. And we want to help business leaders who are ready to take the first or next step. So their kind of roadmap and journey. And, and there isn't a playbook uh, for health equity, uh, but we saw that as another reason to help and to convene. And so we are demonstrating how our work collectively with not-for-profits, community-based organizations, governments, uh, and the private sector come together and make an impact. And so we're seeing that there is a collective opportunity to address the challenges of the past, heal the present, and build a more resilient healthcare uh, system for the future, and, and uh, advance uh, this notion of an equitable future of health. And so we know that from race and ethnicity outcomes data to differences to gender, uh, we've been advancing work on gender equity to, to also uh, place-based change and place-based inequities to policies and programs within our own environments. Uh, it, we've seen that that is really important. So one of the models Deloitte has uh, introduced uh, is uh, if you think about an avocado, left to right, you know, organizations uh, being on the left, what are we doing within our own house uh, to address the issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion? And that goes from workforce to uh, capacity building and understanding and education to the ways that we're uh, designing conversations with intention to surface uh, the possibilities for in, inequities and unintended consequences to also trust uh, and looking through our uh, data and algorithms. Uh, we have a trustworthy AI and ethical tech initiative uh, within Deloitte. So those are just examples organizationally. Now within our products and services, uh, an equity lens, and uh, that uh, is critically important so that as organizations deliver their products and services, they're doing it uh, with an equity lens. The third place is community. This is um, bringing together stakeholders, playing your particular role that you have in the community, uh, given your uh, strengths and resources and uh, strategies. And then the ecosystem, uh, creating an ecosystem of equity you know, where uh, the stakeholders are coming together and, and um, changing the environment. I say that in my own uh, clinical practice, we send people back to the conditions that make them sick. So the work around climate sustainability is so uh, important. Um, and so our organization, our offerings, uh, our community and our ecosystem, that's how we help businesses think about uh, the various issues. And so um, I would say on the ecosystem, it's how do we strat strategically amplify our positive impact to our vendors, partners, public platform, uh, urging the importance of diversity and inclusion uh, as impacting the business, the discussion and the output. And I would say that you know, these are issues that are going to um, impact uh, uh, workforce retention and recruitment as well. And as we've seen, you know, just uh, the importance of how organizations in corporate America 
engage on the issues um, in the community. Jay, to fully realize this health system of the future that ensures equity, medtech companies likely will need to expand both their scope and their capabilities. And one route may be through partnerships with consumer health organizations. Another could be through new business models that could include managing the entire patient journey around a disease or becoming an ecosystem data and analytics provider. Startup partnerships and acquisitions might offer another important pathway for strategics to explore new models and remain relevant. And startups that want to be acquired by strategics need to understand the opportunities and the challenges facing the industry with regard to health equity. A keen understanding of reimbursement, side of care shifts, and alignment with existing product lines will increase the likelihood of acquisition or other financial support. I know this is an area that Deloitte is studying in terms of whether medtech innovators will actually prove valuable to clinicians and patients. And you were recently quoted in an interview as saying, the point of view that Deloitte has around the future of health is that digital capabilities have the path to fundamentally transform the relationship that healthcare organizations have with consumers. And that consumerism over the next five to seven years is going to be a critical trend to address that. I'm hoping you could elaborate on what you see as digital capabilities that work and do they have to be deployed as part of a continuum of services? And what literacy do both care teams as well as patients need to use these technologies effectively in the workflow and as part of care management? So I think that we've seen um, digital tools like SMS uh, be deployed at scale and uh, really leading to good out health outcomes and engagement. Um, I think we're uh, growing, you know, from that to virtual and remote patient monitoring. And the other uh, approach to consider is also when that the importance of that information flowing together uh, and the data that comes in and has to be um, analyzed and used in uh, care delivery. And so um, I think as we think, see alternative sites of care continue to emerge, you know, both SMS texting will continue to be used effectively. There'll be other approaches such as virtual reality, uh, the use of the metaverse and digital twins, uh, that will become common uh, in healthcare delivery as we go to the future. But uh, the digital tools are also ways to further empower the consumer uh, to make particular healthcare decisions. I think digital health you know, has a literacy component that's important. You know, to ensure that um, there's digital literacy across populations, uh, which ties into health literacy, so that um, underserved, historically underserved communities engage in that and make uh, decisions and use that. You know, there's another layer of broadband connectivity that is important. Uh, as we know, communities don't have access to that. Some of our recent data from uh, the Alternative Care Sites report, it's shown that uh, there's significant interest in uh, virtual health and telehealth engagement from at-risk communities, uh, both in mental health and preventative screening. And that built upon some of the success from modalities used in the COVID pandemic. And there's a growing demand for wearable tech to, to monitor health. Again, you know, it depends on the ability of um, patients and families to access that technology. Uh, there's also you know, the issue of connectivity uh, costs. So data plans 
And we know that uh, recently the um, uh, connectivity program released by the Biden administration um, helped try to facilitate some resources to support that cost. Uh, but we know that uh, there's a strong demand for wearable on this technology um, and uh, those will be incorporated into new care delivery models in terms of the data you know, that comes back in. Now, you have to be careful about a provider burden uh, that may emerge from that and training you know, of clinicians around how to use that information and health uh, systems and, and practices being able to incorporate workflow for the, that kind of data from that kind of technology. Jay, another area that you're focused on at Deloitte is the impact of life sciences and research and development in terms of how it will impact diversity in clinical trials with more clinical trials happening in the community, as well as issues around pricing and affordability. And the life science sector is certainly at an inflection point to prepare for the future and remain relevant in the ever-evolving business landscape. Biopharma and medtech organizations will be looking for new ways to create value and new metrics to make sense of today's wealth of data and the integration of AI and machine learning approaches with life sciences is making discovery is, is making drug discovery and development more innovative, time effective and cost effective. And the 2022 Deloitte Global Life Sciences Outlook takes a detailed look at the factors driving these changes and outlines suggestions on how biopharma and medtech companies can aspire to find real value for themselves and their shareholders between gene therapies, intelligent drug discovery and development, consumer wearables, telemedicine, and more. There's so many drivers that are transforming the life sciences sector. Can you describe the importance of clinical trials on advancing health equity? And what does the public sector have in prioritizing health equity and innovation so partnerships can accelerate the impact? I think it's uh, um, enhancing clinical trial diversity is important to support uh, the science-driven strategies aimed at understanding the needs of those who are affected uh, by particular conditions and lead to therapies that are that are important. You know, racially and ethnically diverse clinical trial participants uh, are critically important so that they can inform the safety and effectiveness of, of new medicines and and therapeutics. And then that these outcomes from the trials can increase the understanding of certain conditions that improve prevention and treatment for all populations, but particularly those racially and ethnically diverse communities, I would say that, you know, this issue has become really important. And uh, we're seeing grocery stores, we're seeing retail, you know, engage in this kind of approach of meeting the community where they're at and uh, trying to address the barriers to enhancing clinical trial diversity, which include lack of awareness of trials, lack of access and distrust. There is also the uh, ecosystem. So this point about public-private partnerships, partnering with stakeholders across the clinical trial ecosystem that includes patient groups, uh, research sites, academia, not-for-profit advocacy organizations, the government, and industry that are all important to uh, establish a sustainable community-based clinical trial infrastructure. And uh, establishing relationships with target community through community leaders, historically black college and university and other minority serving institutions. Uh, that's important to provide outreach training, education and mentorship. Adopting you know, enhanced data collection capabilities through sharing of racial ethnic data and real world data through a cloud-based platform. Jay, another 
vitally important opportunity to ensure health equity in our country is a comprehensive and robust public health infrastructure. For decades, many visionary leaders have imagined a transformed future of public health, a resilient system of health where the focus is to predict and proactively prevent illness at a community level, rather than provide reactive care when an individual gets sick. And preventing disease before it happens can reduce both healthcare spending and the occurrence and severity of disease. But it's not a simple task. Because one zip code is a better predictor of health than one's genetic code, achieving drastically improved health outcomes implies both systems change and cross-sector coordination. Today, we see unique opportunities, both in public attention and government financial support, to reform the underlying structures of public health. However, there are also extreme challenges, a decades-long backlog of funding needs, a global pandemic, ongoing preventable chronic disease epidemics, the growing threat of climate change, and pervasive inequities that threaten our health, longevity, and trust in government and its leadership. Can you describe the current challenges facing public health in our country in more depth? And what steps can public health leaders take to fulfill the vision for the future of public health in which all Americans have a chance to thrive? I think the future of public health has gotten a boost uh, with the experience through the COVID-19 pandemic as there's been uh, a lot of opportunity to learn public health can uh, work with other stakeholders, how it can help improve outcomes, uh, prevent um, poor outcomes. Uh, and today, you know, there are opportunities to um, align ecosystem partners working towards the goal. I think we need, we know public health infrastructure needs support, funding and incentives, you know, aligned with prevention, health promotion and wellness, um, shared data across sectors in real time, uh, resilient, robust and multidisciplinary public health workforce and a future center around health equity. So those are all critically important components of the future of public health. And there is uh, interdependencies and in that the future of public health will take into account healthcare and public health supporting prevention and wellness, solutions that are focused on promoting and optimizing wellness. You know, this idea of building trust and blended uh, financing mechanisms, incorporating, incorporating public and private funds, and real-time actionable shared data and measurement systems, uh, and then uh, driving collective impact. This is what we've um, identified as important areas in our uh, future public health uh, research work. And uh, we know that there's um, Healthy People 2030 as an important, important area uh, as metrics to look at. We know there are good examples. Live Well San Diego is collaborative of 500 partners uh, in that geography that are improving the health of residents and supporting healthy choices, uh, working on the drivers of health, cultivating opportunities for all people to communities to thrive. I think public health can be a convener, um, you know, with support can strengthen collaborative infrastructure, uh, but, it, but there needs to be, um, I think, integrated funding, supportive funding, and we need to um, advance our surveillance infrastructure, uh, as well as incentivize payer and provider investment in prevention and leverage existing and untapped funding sources um, in both federal government as well as uh, the private sector employers, you know, with looking at their own employees can play an important role in collaboration with public health uh, stakeholders because their employees may be suffering from impact of drivers of health on their own health. And um, there needs to be actionable, reliable, shared health data. 
Jay, another important aspect in advancing health equity is the recognition of the complex relationship between climate change and human health. The medical research community now realizes that climate change is the greatest threat to global public health, and that there was a recently an unprecedented joint statement uh, late last year with more than 200 medical journals claiming that, and they released a report that outlined the core climate risks to the future of health and offered strategies that healthcare organizations can use to build more resilient operations. The changes to the earth climate systems contribute to the host of health issues that we've talked about, commonly lack of access to clean water, allergens, respiratory disease, heat-induced illness, infectious disease. And while climate change does not discriminate, the impacts disproportionately affect historically marginalized populations, those in urban and rural settings, multiplying the threats to the drivers of health that are environmental, social, and economic. And it triggers migration, food insecurity, and mental health impacts, and the resulting conditions can threaten the achievement of equitable population-wide health and wellness that we're seeking in this race to value. So, Jay, can you provide your views on climate change and the impact it has and further exacerbating health inequities? And is there a role that healthcare organizations can play in solving the climate crisis? There, I would say that uh, climate change can exacerbate health inequity. Uh, the changes to the climate system, you know, are impacting lack of access to clean water, for example, allergens, respiratory disease, heat-induced illness, infectious disease. And we know that climate change, um, as that ramps up, it's going to impact healthcare costs, impact to the physical environment, and can increase the total cost of healthcare services and delivery borne by the economy. Know that air pollution and climate change already generate more than 800 billion in health costs in the United States, according to the National Resources Defense Council, and that can contribute to, to challenges in this particular environment, environment financial stress. Um, and healthcare organizations have an important role in solving the climate crisis. Sustainable organizations are taking a proactive stance, and climate change can impact rest, all parts of the health system and the individual. It can also impact the gains that the industry is trying to drive forward with health inequities. The communities that are most vulnerable to the effects of climate change tend to be those least equipped to manage and recover from physical, economic, mental, social impact. Um, and as we talk about Deloitte's future of health vision, it's, so, it's an important vision that helps try to address some of the challenges risen by climate change. You know, we have to recognize the connection between the health of our people, health of the environment and health of the planet. And um, the climate change stands out as a key force multiplier, you know, a driver of health whose fluctuations amplify the effects uh, in an exponential nonlinear way. And we're seeing great interest in the private sector, given the, the environmental social governance uh, standards um, and regulations that are catalyzing organizations to take a proactive role on this. And we're seeing health systems look at their environmental impact work and connecting it to the drivers of health, uh, understanding how it affects populations they serve. Jay, I've really enjoyed this conversation with you. And I think a great way to conclude and wrap things up would be to talk about the importance of rebuilding trust through partnerships and this is something that you and I have discussed in previous conversations, and I know that it's a passion of yours. 
you know, there's this lack of trust in healthcare that clearly remains an issue, particularly among underserved, underrepresented individuals, those who identify as Black, Asian, Hispanic, and Native American. And you were recently quoted in an interview as stating the following, partnerships are important. We did some survey research through the Center of Health Solutions recently, which showed that the vast majority of health plans and health systems regularly screen their members and patients for social and environmental factors that could negatively impact health. But just 35% of the respondents said that they've established community partnerships to address the needs identified by their members and patients. You go on to say that it, it could be that they don't know where to start or and that there isn't enough trust. And, and particularly you say the element of trust is so important. And how do we build and sustain trust with that group of stakeholders and particularly with, it, with the community and their lived experience? I'd love to have you go into a little more depth on your perspective on this important issue of trust in healthcare. How can healthcare organizations earn back the trust of minoritized communities? And how should we be thinking about partnerships using this lens of equity to build a reimagined healthcare system for the future? I think this, Pete, the conversation around trust has become a growing discussion in healthcare and, and health equity. We know that there's, uh, you know, importance to having care delivery reflect the communities they serve. That's important to rebuild trust. And patients want to feel safe and understood and uh, creating environments uh, that help support that. You know, boosting a number of uh, diverse caregivers is important, but not enough. Um, we know that there's growth uh, in this area, um, but there's also meeting uh, patients where they're at and uh, building trust over time and, and education is an important part of that. It's important to be able to, to listen and have a, a trusted partnership in a place where they feel safe. Those are, you know, could be barbershops, it could be uh, places where they live their lives, community health centers. There's an opportunity also to uh, create platforms and supports that help advanced trust. Um, and so, you know, one thing, if you don't have the information they're expecting or they aren't um, heard as patients and, and families in, in care delivery, then you could lose trust and then takes a longer time to build up. But we're seeing um, this be uh, an important focus for healthcare organizations uh, and for the, the work to advance health equity. Jay, thank you very much for joining us this week in the Race to Value podcast. I very much enjoyed our discussion. I want to thank you personally for your leadership in our industry as we undergo this transformation towards a more equitable and accountable healthcare system. Thank you. It's an honor and pleasure to be with you and appreciate all the great work you all are doing. 